Let's thank the uh, worship band this morning for leading us in worship. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I have the privilege this morning to introduce our speaker. Our speaker this morning is Jeff Manis. And Jeff was a youth pastor in Gillette, Wyoming, and just having the time of his life. And God yanked him out of his comfort zone and said, I want you to go plant a church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And Jeff argued with the Lord for a while and said, I have no idea how to plant a church. And, uh, and yet he was obedient. He went and moved his family to Cheyenne, Wyoming. He started a church called Element Church. And now, seven and a half years later, it's one of the largest churches in the state of Wyoming. And so this morning, I ask that you would give Jeff Manis a huge IWU warm welcome this morning. Well, thank you to Indiana Wesleyan for allowing me the privilege of being here. Thank you, as well, Dr. Shigley, or as I call you, Eddie, uh, for uh, allowing me to be here as well. Appreciate your friendship and leadership into, into my life. I want to jump right into the message today by making a statement and then proving to you that it's true. And most of us will agree that we kind of gravitate towards this, that bigger is almost always better. Bigger is almost always better better. For instance, I love McDonald's french fries. Anybody else love McDonald's? Okay, we got some lovers of McDonald's french fries. So if you love McDonald's french fries, would you rather have this order of french fries or this order of french fries? Yeah, that's real. That's from Japan, by the way. I'm, I'm told it's a real order of, of french fries. Now, I, I also love coffee. Who here loves coffee? Yes, okay. I've heard there's a great coffee shop on campus. I'm going to hit that up later today. Um, I love coffee. My wife hates coffee. Like the smell of coffee makes her sick to her stomach. But I love coffee. I love coffee so much, I go to bed some nights looking forward to the cup of coffee I'll have in the morning. I don't know if anybody else is like that. Okay. So I have a problem. I'm not afraid to admit it. I, I don't. So for if you love coffee, you'd rather this cup of coffee or this cup of coffee. Yeah. That right there will last you quite a while. So Going to speed this up a little bit here. So here's some other ones. Would you rather have this truck? Okay, it's okay. Or this truck? Yes, that one. This gun? Not bad. Or this one? Yes. You can do some damage with that gun. Uh, would you, uh, I don't know if you have any Colts fans in the room, this football? Or this football? Yeah. Is that too, is that too soon? Is that too soon? I don't know. Would you rather have this cat Aww. or this cat? It's a, it's a trick question. There is no such thing as a better cat. Because all cats remind me of this picture. Yeah. All cats, all cats are, are evil. Bigger, it's in the original Hebrew. You'll find it in the Old Testament. Bigger is almost always better, which by the way, this is largely an American, Western civilized thinking, and it's leaked into every aspect of our lives, even into our faith. I've wrestled over what to share with a couple hundred college students that they haven't heard already. If you guys don't know, you are, are blessed to be a part of a university that takes very seriously not only the education for your career, 
but the education for your soul as well. As I read, I did not know this, but I read the mission of Indiana Wesleyan on the website, and I hope this is it because I read it off the website, but it said this, a Christ-centered academic community committed to changing the world by developing students in character, school, and and leadership. So as I thought and prayed about what do I share with these college students that they've never heard before, I just thought, there's a message from a book that I had the great privilege of writing that I wish someone would have taught me before I left for college. A message that I wish I would have learned before I entered the ministry, before I entered into my career. And maybe somebody taught me this and I just failed to put it into practice. I don't know. But it's the message that's burning on my heart. And the book I was able to write is, is, called, is titled, Because You're Called, Three Words That Will Change your life. And the engine behind the book, the engine behind our ministry at Element Church in Wyoming is that I fully believe everyone's called to something. That each of us are uniquely designed by God to fulfill a God-sized purpose for God. God wants to use us as your school mission states to change the world. So I am passionate about seeing people, especially young people, not only know what their calling is, but live in that calling. Now, I know that just because we're at a Christian university does not mean that everyone is a Christian here, so, so I, I get that. Maybe you're even here and you would say, God-sized purpose, I'm not even sure I believe in God yet. So here's the thing. Whether you believe in God or not, no matter where you're at on your faith journey, I bet all of us at some point in our lives have asked the question, what's my purpose in life? What am I called to do? Most of us hear the word calling and we immediately think colossal. We think big. Why? Because bigger is almost always better. Like everyone, everyone wants to do something significant with their life. I mean, think about it. In our lives, the stories we are inspired by, the people we want to emulate, the reason we're inspired by them, the reason we want to emulate them is they've done something significant with their life, significant in their career field, their ministry, their faith, their, their family. At some point, all of us want to rescue the damsel in distress, uh, find a cure for a disease, start a company or an organization that makes a difference in the world. Even as a pastor, I find myself wanting to preach crusades like Billy Graham or lead churches of thousands and thousands of people. And as I said earlier, I even see this simply in our faith. I'm a pastor's kid, which explains a lot about my life, I know. So growing up, we went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, which was different than Sunday morning, every Wednesday night for Bible study, and the occasional all-week revival. Didn't matter if I wanted to go to church, didn't matter if my dad wanted to go to church as the pastor, we went to church. And every Sunday before what we called big church, we would go to Sunday school. So maybe you remember going to Sunday school, maybe your church that you go to still has Sunday school. But when I was a kid, uh, we would sing songs in Sunday school, songs like Father Abraham. Does anybody know that song still? Okay, yes. So, okay, so I'm not really dating myself here as much as I thought I would be and alienating my audience. So we'd sing songs like Father Abraham, which would go something like this. You can sing along if you'd like to, but say, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. 
So let's just praise the Lord, right arm. Okay, we won't sing the whole song, but you go through the whole thing here, right? I only 30 minutes, and we're not going to waste it on this song. Go. Then you go left arm, then you go right foot, and then you go left foot, and then you nod your head, then you turn around, and then you say, sit down. Everybody, yeah! What I come to realize now that I'm 40 years old is that song had nothing to do with anything, but the teachers wanted us to expend some energy, and so they just had to sing that song. Now, you might have come to chapel today thinking Christians were weird, and we just proved it for you right there. That's beside the point. In Sunday school, we also had these things called flannel graphs. Remember a flannel graph? Okay. In this digital age, we don't use the beauty of flannel graphs any longer, but a flannel graph was simply that, a blue piece of flannel that was on a board, and you would attach like characters and scenery on the board to tell these Bible stories. And on the flannel graph, we would learn the stories of great Bible heroes like Noah who built a boat and rode out the flood with his family, or Moses, who parted the Red Sea and led the people of Israel on dry ground, or Esther, who stood in defiance to the king of her day, or David, who slayed Goliath, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, thrown in the fiery furnace but walked out not even smelling like smoke, Daniel, who came out of the lion's den unscathed, Peter, who walked on water. Man, we hear stories like that. That gets us fired up. Like as Christians, we hear those stories and we are ready to charge the gates of hell with nothing but safety goggles and a water pistol. Like we're fired up about those stories. We all want to be the hero of the story, right? Like we all want to be David. Nobody pretends to be Goliath, do you? You're weird if you do, by the way. No one does that. We want to defy the king and part the Red Sea and sit in the lion's den, come out of the fiery furnace. We want to walk on the water, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. We should be inspired by the heroes of faith in the Bible. I think it's good that we all burn with a desire to do something significant with our life, but here's the thing, here's the thing. Here's what I realized was never taught in Sunday school, or at least I never caught it if it was. What I never learned in Sunday school was this, that these Bible heroes we grew up idolizing and quite honestly still do so today, they never set out to be heroes. They didn't know what God was going to do. They were just doing the next thing God told them to do. They weren't trying to be famous. They were trying to be faithful to the famous one, and that's huge. David didn't start out defeating Goliath. He started out caring for his father's sheep in the fields. Moses did not start out parting the Red Sea. He started out returning to Egypt to confront Pharaoh to let the people go. Daniel didn't start out uh, coming out of the lion's den unscathed. He started out being faithful to his God, praying in full view of his accusers every day, three times a day, even though it was against the law. So here's a principle that I'm still learning to understand. It's the framework that I'm building the rest of uh, my message for you today, and it's this. It's on the screens for you as well. God won't ask you to do something significant for him unless you're willing to do what you consider small. God won't ask you to do something significant for him unless you're willing to do what you consider small. It's the smallest things done in faith that will lead to the significant things that require faith. So here's the big question. I want to ask today, I always ask big questions in my messages at our church, and it's this. How can I live a significant life? 
If we all burn for significance, how can I live a significant life? And the scripture we'll look at is Joshua chapters 1 through 5. Do not panic. I don't have time to read all of them. Uh, But we are going to refer to some of the verses here from Joshua 1 through 5. When I I immediately think significance. If you don't know, Joshua is one of the greatest leaders, not just in the Bible, but of all human history. Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. He, he was a strategic warrior. I mean, here's a guy who one time in the middle of a battle prayed for the sun to stand still, and God answered that prayer. He led the conquest of Jericho. He has a book in the Bible named after him. I would say it's pretty stinking significant. So here's what we're going to see in the book of Joshua. It's my answer to the question, how do I lead a significant life? This is simple. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple. I'm giving you all three points of my message right now, and then we'll break it down, chicka, chicka, uh, all the way through the rest of the message. So here's my three, here's my, I've had some coffee already today. Here's my three points. Listen to God, do what he says, stand back and watch. Listen to God, do what he says, stand back and watch. God won't ask you to do something significant for him unless you're willing to do what you consider small. So Joshua 1, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 9. If you're able to follow along on your phone or your iPad or your Bible, you can do so. Otherwise, it's on the screen, but it says this. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. The time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. And here's why it's so important that we listen to God, because in God's plan for you, he also has a promise for you. And this is what God said. I promise you, to Joshua, what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you'll be on land I have given you. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning neither to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that's an awesome passage of scripture. This is so huge in living a significant life, in being a part of changing the world. God said to Joshua, what I believe he's saying to you and I today, I think he's saying, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That no matter what I ask you to do, no matter where I ask you to go, I'm with you as you do it. I'm with you as you go. I am for you, I will strengthen you, I will enable you, I will equip you. Whether it's significant or small, whether it's scary or exciting, I will be with you. That one promise can change the way we live our lives, the presence of God with us. But here's the problem. 
at least a problem for me anyway. I'm sure you are a way better Christian than I am, so it's probably not a problem for you. But for those of us who have problems, here's my problem. So many times, and this will derail us from a significant life faster than anything, so many times I find myself telling God what I'm going to do and asking for his presence in it instead of listening to God for what he wants me to do and trusting his presence will be there. God already told Joshua what he wanted him to do. Lead the people of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land. Now, if you don't know, the Bible also tells us the Jordan River was in flood stage. The water was overflowing its banks. So if I'm Joshua, I might have said to God, have you seen the Jordan River? Can we at least wait until the dry we just walk across the river, you know, don't depart it or anything, but Joshua didn't do that. Joshua 1, 10 and 11 says this, Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you'll cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. We can read past that and not notice the significance here, that I'm struck sometimes, convicted is a better word, of the rapid obedience of people in the Bible. So many examples of God just speaking a word to one of his followers, and they simply do it. No questions asked. I mean, read the Old Testament prophets sometimes. Them dudes were hardcore, okay? They did some things that uh, most of us would question doing. And I don't know of a better example of that than by, uh, in the Bible than Joshua. Five times I found... In Joshua chapters 1 through 5, you'll read in some form or fashion, the Lord told Joshua to, so Joshua did. The Lord told Joshua to, so Joshua did. For instance, we just read in Joshua 1, the Lord told Joshua, lead the Israelites across the Jordan River. So Joshua gathered all the leaders and said, in three days, we're going to gather our provisions. We're going to go across the Jordan River. Joshua chapter 3, the Lord told Joshua, when you get to the edge of the Jordan, command the priests to put their feet in the water. When they do, the waters will part. So Joshua told the priests, when you put your feet in the water, the waters will part. And they did. Joshua 4, the Lord told Joshua, choose 12 men to take 12 stones out of the riverbed and set up a memorial pillar on my behalf. So Joshua chose 12 men to take 12 stones and set up a memorial pillar on God's behalf. Joshua 4, the Lord told Joshua, command the priest to come up out of the water. So Joshua commanded the priest to come up out of the water. Joshua 5. This never made the flannel graph, by the way. And you'll see why here in a second. It would be hard to explain this to little Johnny when he comes home from Sunday school. Joshua 5, 2, and 3. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at a town called Gibeath Haraloth, which in Hebrew means ow. <laughs> Just kidding, doesn't mean that. But props to Joshua, right? Like when I get to heaven, I'm finding Joshua and fist bump, dude, way to go on that one because you're a way better man than I am. I probably would have bowed out about there, but not Joshua. Put yourself in Joshua's shoes. I mean, this is actually in the Bible. If you believe in the authority of Scripture, you believe this actually happened. As Christians, I think we read past verses like this 
as if they didn't really happen, as if it's no big deal. Oh, yeah, circumcision. Okay, moving on. And again, I know you're probably a way better Christian than I am, but if I were Joshua, I'm not sure I would have obeyed so immediately. I might have pulled God aside for a sidebar, you know? Like, hey, come here. Yeah, yeah, you, God, over here. Um, Did you say circumcise? Yeah, because I know, I know, I know. Because that whole, you know, I might have got some water in my ears from that whole part, the Jordan thing, which was really cool, by the way. I'm not complaining, but, you know, my air pharaohs got some water on them, and my tunic got wet. And I just, I, I did, did you say, so you did, okay. Hmm. Okay. I'd have been dancing around the issue for quite some time. I would have prayed about it, which, by the way, is the Christian way of avoiding the issue. I would have, I would have fasted. <laughs> I would have fasted, offered up some other ideas, hit all of the knives, something, right? But not Joshua. The Lord told Joshua to, so Joshua did. When I read the Bible, I try to put myself into the situation. Imagine how this conversation went down. I mean, how did this happen? We have two verses of, of this incredible story. So I kind of picture Joshua gathering all the guys around. All right, guys, come on in. All the guys around. I know it's not politically correct, but the ladies aren't allowed this time. All the guys, come on in. Guys, are Jim, Bob, yeah, Paul, how you doing? Paul, you got a question? Yeah, what's it? Uh, yeah, is this a knife? Yeah, it is. Um, what am I doing? Well, about that. Um, God spoke to me again, and I'm only saying this once. But he's asked me to um, <clears throat> circumcise you. <laughs> yeah, Paul, yeah. Did I say, yeah, I did say circumcise, yep. Have I ever done that before? Um, no, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. You know, uh, how, did, how, did that, how did that conversation go down? We don't know how it went down. So here's, here's, here's two principles that I, that I see, two things that stand out to me, okay? First of all, the greatest testament to Joshua's leadership is not the fact that he was willing to circumcise these men. It was a fact that they were willing to let him. That's a level of trust most of us leaders will never see in our lives, ever. Here's the second thing, second thing. If you quit just because you're uncomfortable, you'll never see God do the unthinkable. Yet that's exactly what happened next. You know what the very next thing was God asked Joshua to do? Conquer Jericho. The next thing. God won't ask you to do something significant for him unless you're willing to do what you consider small. The Lord told Joshua, gather up the fighting men, walk around Jericho once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, walk around seven times, then stand back and watch. What happened? The walls of Jericho came crashing down, and all the peas went running for their lives, right? Remember? <laughs> I just thought of that one right there. And the people took the people of Israel took the city of Jericho. How did Joshua accomplish such a significant feat? Did he really do anything significant? Did Joshua make the walls fall down? No. He listened to God, did what he said, stood back and watched. The Lord told Joshua to, so Joshua did. That was the story of his life. 
That was the story of his calling. So my question for you and I is, what's our story? What's our story? What walls are you facing your life right now as a college student or a professor or just someone who's here at chapel today that you're trying to figure out, how do I knock down these walls when maybe all you need to do is listen to God, do what he says, stand back and watch? The power to conquer Jericho simply came from a pattern of obedience in Joshua's life. The biggest test, the biggest task of Joshua's life was not Jericho out to be. That's the story that gets all the attention. But the biggest test, the biggest task of Joshua's life was the one right before Jericho, circumcision. Joshua didn't know that Jericho would be the next thing God asked him to do. Like all the other Bible story heroes, he was just doing the next thing God asked him to do. And that's huge. If Joshua would not have been willing to take the step of circumcision, he never would have seen of conquering Jericho. God won't ask you to do something significant for him unless you do what you consider small. And the most significant thing he'll, you'll ever do in your life is simply the next thing God's asking you to do. But if you don't take that small step, you might never be asked to make the significant one either. Yet that's where so many people live. Somewhere between what was and what could be. So take that next step, even if it's small. In fact, I would say take that next step, especially if it's small, because Everything God asks us to do is significant. Not because of what it is, but because of who's asking. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Be faithful in the small things. Trust in God's presence. Listen to God. Do what he says. Stand back and watch and you'll end up living a significant life. Let me pray for you. God, I'm so thankful for Bible stories like Joshua that we focus on this big, significant miracle of Jericho, but Lord, you never would have allowed him to conquer Jericho if he had not done the small things before that. So Lord, thank you that in our lives you call us to take significant steps because every step with you is significant. So Lord, whatever walls, whatever steps, whatever struggles that are, are, that are being faced in this room, Lord, I pray that we be faithful to listen to you, do what you say, stand back and watch. And Lord, we will rejoice and celebrate in you when the walls fall down in victory. Lord, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for allowing me to be here. You are dismissed.